have that? Well, I'll explain presently. But first of all, today we are going to have our hope broadened, widened by the vision that we receive from Revelation. St. John, in his vision in Revelation, he has a picture in chapter 21 of what is yet to come. And it is more, it is greater, it is fuller than I would say many Christians have even dared to think. See, we tend to focus when we think about future matters on heaven, by which we mean when we die, our soul will go and be in the presence of the Lord and be at peace. And that is 100% true. That is part of our Christian hope that when we die, we will be with the Lord in heaven. And that even now, the souls of those who have gone before us are at peace and rest with the Lord. 100% true. But one author says this. He says, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. And he means that rather literally. We tend to think of our future hope being, like I say with the kids, just floating on some clouds, there'll be harps involved, and we'll just kind of be singing and having a long worship service. And for some people, you think, not sure that that would actually be heaven to me, right? You wouldn't say that at church, of course, but... And again, that is part of the picture that we have in Revelation, is that we are singing and praising God, but there is much more to it. Our hope, as John showed us in Revelation, is nothing less than new heavens and a new earth. In other words, a new creation. And this morning, I want to unpack the significance of that new creation. That it means for us return, reunion, and renewal. Return, reunion, and renewal. To begin with, this new creation means return. The return of the king, the return of our savior. This new creation, this new heavens and new earth is ushered in when our Lord Jesus returns, when he comes again. An interesting tidbit about church architecture, including our church, is churches traditionally have been oriented toward the east, as if you think about it for a second, our sanctuary is here. And the reason that is, is because Christians have looked for our hope to the east. From the east, Christ will come on the clouds. So that when we are gathered together for worship, we are oriented toward the east, looking for the coming, the return of Christ. In modern churches where they couldn't figure out how to get it to turn east, they just call it liturgical east, which is another word for north. But we look to the east. We look to the return of Christ. And more than that, when Christ returns, as John shows us, it means the return of the immediate presence of God the Father in our midst. Think back to Genesis and to Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, God dwelled with his people. It says he walked among them in the cool of the day. How was that? What was that like? We don't know. But there was God dwelling in the midst of his people. This was always his hope and longing and purpose, to have this kind of close communion with his creatures. But as we know, that very communion was rent asunder by the entrance of sin into the world. 
And one author, a Jewish author by the name of Abraham Heschel, he says that the whole rest of the Bible may be understood as God in search of man. God seeking to recover that communion that he had at Eden because there has been this rending asunder between God and man. God has been banished, even as man has been banished from Eden. And the whole rest of the scriptures, we see God pursuing us, seeking to woo us, to bring us back, all the way culminating in the coming of his son, our Savior Jesus, who's also known as Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. This is God's longing. This is God's desire to dwell with his creatures. And finally, at the end of days, in the new creation, that's what we have. The return of God into our very midst. And when that happens, there will be no more tears. There will be no more trials. There will be no more tremors. There will be no more temple because the scripture says God himself will be our temple. This is the foundational aspect of the new creation. God's very presence in our midst Face to face. Now we see as through a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Imagine that. Everything else flows from that. Everything else about the new creation flows from that, if you will, incarnate presence of God dwelling among us. But that brings us to the second facet of this new creation that I want to highlight for you from John's reading. It will be a reunion. It will be a reunion. Now when I say that, the first thing that probably jumps into your mind is it'll be a reunion for us with those who have died and gone before us. And that's part of it. But that's not the reunion I'm talking about. Do you notice the image that John used to describe what he was seeing? He described it in terms of a wedding. Why would he use the picture of a wedding? Well, first of all, because a wedding is a party. Some of the best parties we have are at weddings. And John wants to make it clear that when God comes, when Christ returns and ushers in this new creation, it is not just going to be some staid day at the DMV. It is going to be a party, see? It is going to be a celebration, a blowout party with all of God's people gathered around the throne, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Don't Miss that. Don't forget that. If you ever have any thought, I'm not sure that I'm going to enjoy it, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> but secondly, as John says, he sees the new Jerusalem, an image for the church, the bride of Christ, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I wish to put full weight on that word prepared to geek out on your grammar there for a second. That is in the passive voice, right? Has been prepared. Prepared by whom? Prepared by God. You have been prepared as Christ's bride. You have not prepared yourself. It's not a matter of you anxiously getting ready like a bride on her wedding day. But you have been prepared. Christ has cleansed you, it says in Ephesians 5 by the washing of water with the word, making you glorious in his sight. That's you, see. Your sin has been stripped from you and you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You are that bride of Christ prepared 
for him. But here's the third thing that's significant about this wedding image. See, what is a marriage? A marriage is fundamentally about a union. It's a union of man and woman, of husband and wife. It's a consummation, a bringing together. And what's happening in the new creation is the reunion of heaven and earth. There's that bad 80s song, Heaven is a Place on Earth. You know that? Don't start singing it in your head. Don't think of a pink elephant. Okay, got it. But it's actually closer than we might think. It's not that heaven is a place on earth, but that in the new creation, it's about heaven, the place where God dwells, the dimension of God's dwelling, being reunited with earth, the dimension, the dwelling place of humans. In the beginning, again, in the garden, in paradise, there was no rending asunder. They were already united. God was dwelling with human beings. But because of the entrance of sin and death into the world, it's like heaven and earth was ripped apart. And really, this is what death is about, why death is so destructive. What happens at death is that your soul and your body are pulled apart. We lay the body into the grave. The soul goes to be with the Lord. But what we look forward to, what we anticipate, is the new creation, the resurrection of the body, when our bodies will be reunited with our souls even as heaven is reunited with earth in the new creation so that there's a perfect overlap, even as there was in the beginning. You with me? Oh, this is a, a much greater hope than I think we often think of where we, we picture heaven as a deportation, okay? We lift off, we leave earth behind. But it's not a deportation, it's a consummation. The new creation is a wedding, it's not a divorce. It's a drawing together of God and his creatures as he always intended. All right, one third thing, one final thing to bring out about this new creation. It's a matter of return, the return of Christ, the return of God's immediate presence in our midst. It's about this reunion, the reunion of heaven and earth, of soul and body. Then finally, it's a matter of renewal, of renewal. Let me ask you a moment of honesty here. Are you the kind of person, when you've got something around the house that breaks, are you the kind of person who fixes it or who pitches it? Uh, I say to my shame that I tend to be the kind of guy who pitches it, right? Something starts to break down, I say, well, time for a new one, right? You know, shoes start to show a little bit of wear, or, you know, like the, the shoelace breaks. Well, it must be time for new shoes, okay? I tend to be a pitch it guy, but understand this. God is emphatically a fixer. He is one who is not wont to pitch his creation. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said that it was what? Good. Good, 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 and very good. So do you think that at the end of days, when Christ comes again, that God's just going to look at his good world and say, eh, we'll pitch it. That simply doesn't fit with his character, does it? 
Now you could get that impression here when it says it's a new heavens and a new earth and the first has, has passed away. You might get that picture in your mind like, all right, God's pitching the first thing and he's starting over. But it's important to recognize in the, in the Greek language, they have two words for new. One is neos, and you're familiar with that from lots of prefixes, you know, neo, this, that, and the other thing. Neo new, neos new, is brand new. It's spanking new, all right? It's new out of nothing. But Greek also has another word for new, which is kainos. Let me hear you say kainos. Making sure you're awake. Kainos new is not that brand new, a new thing, but it's a renewal. It's taking something old and restoring it. It's not pitching something, but it's fixing, restoring, redeeming. Now, which do you think John used? Which of these Greek words do you think John used to describe this new heavens and new earth? Kainos. Absolutely. What's happening is a renewed heavens and a renewed earth. And so I think the way to understand about, well, what, what does he mean then when he says the, the first earth, the first heaven is, has passed away? It's like a snake shedding its skin. Or another image that the scriptures use in the Psalms is that it's like a garment that's being changed. It's not that God is pitching his creation, his good but fallen creation. It's that he is restoring and renewing it. N.T. Wright, a theologian named N.T. Wright, he says that on this day, what God is going to do, he is going to do for the entire cosmos what he already did for Jesus in the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, was he a totally different guy, new body, everything like that? Not new in the sense of naos, but in the sense of kainos, right? Here is Christ in his glorified, indestructible, resurrected body. That's the promise for all creation. That when Jesus comes again, he is going to restore this world. And here's the kicker far as the curse is found. You with me? He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. The curse of sin has touched every inch of this creation. It's touched every part of our lives and our human relationships. We see it, we feel it all over the place. But know that as far and as deep as sin goes in this life, that far and farther goes the blessing and the grace of God in the life of the world to come. Can I get an amen? amen? When Jesus comes again, the trees of the field will clap their hands, the Psalms say. Let, let uh, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. That is the hope and the vision that we have. That God is going to not just ditch this creation, but all that we have found that is, that is beautiful and good, the forests and the sunsets and maybe the go-karts. We'll have to check about that. <laughs> All that is good and true and beautiful and wondrous about this creation is going to be there and yet still more. C.S. Lewis and his vision of the new creation in the, the last battle, the last of the Chronicles of Narnia series, he has a vision where things are not less real, but more real. The greens are greener, the blues are bluser, reality is more real. Imagine our bodies restored to how they're originally intended to be. This creation freed of all the things that, that uh, afflict it and make it broken, 
put back together and restored. Let me leave you with one last thought. A little hidden Easter egg, if you will, hidden in plain view that I think God has has put before us in the Lord's Prayer. That prayer that we pray probably every day, maybe more than once a day. We pray that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. You ever thought, well, that's kind of a, a strange sentiment, but we just pray it. Maybe you don't even think about it so much. But I believe that Jesus, in giving us this prayer and teaching us to pray in that way, is cultivating in us a constant hope and anticipation for that great renewal, reunion, and return when heaven and earth will be reunited, when this world will be restored to how God originally intended it to be when he said it is good, it is good, it is very good. On that day, the dead will be raised and granted life incorruptible. And not only us individuals as people, but the entire cosmos, all creation, far as the curse is found, rocks, hills, and plains will repeat the sounding joy. Why? Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen. We stand to sing.